Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Just here for another episode of Startup Hustle, which is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Have you heard of those guys before? I've heard of it. Yeah, I have too. You should check them out. They build software teams quickly and affordably. You know, I'm going back to Cebu in three weeks. Are you? Yeah, to see the team. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you will be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. Well, today we have a very interesting founder and business name. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Dr. Kevin Payne of Chronic Cow. Kevin, what's up? It's an outstanding day, isn't it? It sure is. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. And uh, so ahead of time, you know I like it when you're interactive. So go to chroniccow.com or on the gram. You can check out at Chronic Cow. While you're there, we're at Startup Hustle Podcast. So Kevin, tell us all about the cow. Well... Chronic Cow delivers, well, we use advanced analytics to deliver improved quality of life for people who live with chronic illness, like me. So it's personalized answers, uh, grounded in science, driven by data, and personalized for you. Okay. So, but not for cows. Not for cows. <laughs> so, why is it called Chronic Cow? I'm glad you asked. There are two reasons. Uh, one's a personal story. And when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, um, I was, you know, my kids were very small. And so I, I went home and I gathered the family around the table and I, I explained this thing that was going on with me. Now, you have to understand that I lived in England during the mad cow scare of the early 90s. And so to this day, I can't deliver you know, I can't, I can't give blood, you know, even almost 30 years later. Because of that? Yeah, because of that. Just because you were in the, in the vicinity? Just because I was in the vicinity, the American Red Cross will no longer allow me to donate blood almost 30 years later. Interesting. Yeah. So it became a running family joke that one of these days I was going to come down with mad cow disease. And so I explained all this and... My kids were very quiet for a minute, and one of them leaned into the other and said, Daddy got the cow. And it stuck. So it became, you know, Daddy's mad cow. And when my symptoms were acting up, my kids would say, Daddy's cow's mad today. And when it was really bad, and they didn't think I could hear, they'd say, Daddy's cow is really pissed. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I've helped so many people over the years that when they get diagnosed with a chronic illness, they frame it as a battle with a monster. And if you frame your life as a battle with a monster, you will never win. So it's not a monster. It's a cow. She's big. She's bulky. She's smelly. She gets in the way. But you can handle a cow. Not even sure what to say. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to see the look that Matt Watson just gave me, you can check out the Startup Hustle YouTube channel because that was – well, Kevin, you know, I want to talk a little more about 
you know, the, what you do and how you do it. And, you know, that's a, that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, way to name your business for sure. Um, <laughs> one thing uh, you've recently published a book, uh, your life lived well, the science of crafting a good life under chronic distress, pain and illness. Yeah, it comes out on December 3rd. Okay. So uh, we're doing advanced pre-sales here the next month. And, uh, you know, we're excited to get it out. So when it comes to Chronic Cow and the business, and I see that you uh, also have an association with Don Peterson, who Don's been in here before. He's associated right. with Launch KC and stuff like that. Is he also associated with the business or just a podcast? Um, just the podcast. He's been an enthusiastic supporter of Chronic Cow from the very beginning. Okay. So you mentioned you mentioned using data or different stuff to help people improve. Like, let's talk a little bit about that. So we have a backstory about, you know, your your own struggles or challenges with chronic illness. But what, as far as the business goes, you know, how do you what what are you guys doing with that? And tell us all about it. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I realized is, you know, I'm a science guy. I'm a data guy, and. Uh, that's kind of my safe place. So when I was diagnosed, I went to the science and I turned myself into a guinea pig and I, I collect 80 different variables on myself and measure and monitor and model them every day. And such as, uh, you know, various things uh, from biomedical indicators to behavioral and attitudinal and social and environmental characteristics. It, it runs the gamut. And, you know, of course, you can't generalize from an end of one. So I was not only interested in finding solutions that made my life better, but also for other people as well. So I interviewed hundreds. I surveyed thousands. I built a scraper that went out on the web and collected 2.23 million data points. I reanalyzed the results of over 7,000 studies on over 150 conditions. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm an obsessive data guy. Uh, and, you know, what I found was once you're diagnosed with a condition, and, you know, again, we're looking at data from people with over 150 different diagnoses. And those could be things like multiple sclerosis. It could be diabetes or obesity, or it could be what are classified as mental health conditions like depression and anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress, etc. Most of the challenges, over 80% of the challenges that we face day in and day out are not medical. They have to do with the distress of living with a condition that's always getting in your way and that you're never going to get better from. You know, the entire medical community our, our whole system is built on an acute care model. The idea is something is wrong, you go into your physician, and they fix it somehow and return you to a normal life. But with people like me, there's no other side. There's no normal to go back to. There's no happy ending here. This is something that I have to live with every day, and it's something that over half of all Americans are now living with. Just a chronic illness in general. Some kind of chronic diagnosis. Diabetes or depression. Yeah. That covers mm -hmm. a huge percentage between the two of them. Right. right. Yeah. All right. So the doctor and Dr. Kevin Payne, 
What's your background with that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I realized my, my, my uh, then wife told me, you know, you're not the right kind of doctor to develop a medical cure. Um, but I am a social and behavioral scientist. My doctorate's in, so, in sociology and psychology. And uh, when I realized that most of what we were facing were, were issues about mindset and behavior and how we adapt to our environment and deal with our relationships, well, those are the kinds of, of problems that I do have the background to come up with answers for. And so that's what Chronic Cal does. I don't think of it as a healthcare business. I think of it as healthcare adjacent. So we're dealing with all of those aspects of your life that are affected when you're diagnosed. How do you stick with a treatment regimen? Well, that's not a medical question. That's a behavioral question. How do you find the will and the grit to move forward day after day when you know that, you know, there's going to be some really sucky days as you go through this? Well, those are the kinds of questions that the social and behavioral sciences can answer. But it turns out that what works for me doesn't work for you, and it doesn't work for you. All of those answers will work for someone, but the problem is matching you with the answers that will work in your case. And so will the data patterns help identify you know, people that have similar symptoms, similar outcomes? And that's what we do. Yep. We, we use those, you know, that massive amount of data to, to identify, well, if you need to change a behavior, there are 150 different ways that you could approach behavioral change. And normally what you do is trial and error. Somebody gives you a suggestion, you try it and it may work and, and you get discouraged because most of them don't work for you. So what we do is, is we profile you and we use those to say, all right, for someone like you, this is going to be, uh, you know, uh, say a, maybe it's, it's a behavioral change that's based on external factors. And we're trying to uh, move your environment in a different way. Maybe for somebody else, it's monetary. Maybe for somebody else, it's habit formation and, and so forth. And, and we can go through that and we can say, well, we're going to match you with the one that's likely to work for you. Then we monitor you. And if you're on the right trajectory, then we, we keep you on that. And if you're not, then we know what's the next most likely thing for someone like you. So then how do you, how do you, uh, sell or take this to market? So like, who is your customer? How, how does the business work? We, we do it a couple of ways. We've got a B2B model and a B2C model. And the B2B is, uh, we're doing a couple of things. One, we're, uh, we, we have a chronic cow partner program. And so these are medical health, wellness professionals in practices, and they're faced with a lot of questions like this day in and day out that they're not trained to answer. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, those partners drive their clients to us. And so they can try and gap. provide better care to their patients. Exactly. Um, you know, then the other thing is we provide a lot of training to health, wellness, medical professionals. 
because they're not trained to deal with people like us. There's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of distress that's involved day after day after day with caring for patients who will never get better. And so, you know, we go in and, and we train, say, the personnel in a, in a, a hospital or a practice or, you know, so forth, so that they can better deal I mean, with the people they're facing. You talk about your background, and for these types of illnesses, I can definitely see it's much more psychology, right? It's like you have to understand that these people are going to have these issues and how to deal with them, how to help them cope, whatever. It's not just writing a prescription. It's a right. different scenario. It is. Sure. And, and you know, what we're interested in, there's – there's a movement right now in the United States and in other countries to see medical care in the larger context. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're, it's about life care. It's not necessarily about medical care. So when it comes to chronic illness and the psychology that comes around that, and this, this, I think this is a, a kind of an interesting thing. Is it, is it about accepting it or is it about not accepting it and then you're fighting? No. See, if, if you frame it as a fight, that's an acute response. Our, our, our fight or flight response, which is really five Fs, there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just fight or flight. Uh, when we, I kind of want to know what the other Fs are. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's freeze and flee and faint. In okay. There as well. oh, that would make sense too. All right. Mm -hmm. There'll be Good. a quiz about that later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> huh, I didn't no, realize. And that makes a lot of sense though. Cause a lot, you talk about freeze, flee or faint, like flee as flee, just kind of like moving off to the side. Or is that like, yeah, because flight is like truly taken off, right? Right. Flight is, is, is truly taken off. But, but some of these other responses are about just kind of metaphorically looking in the other direction or or not acknowledging it somehow sure. uh, and a lot of a lot of what we understand about addiction for example can be framed as one of these kinds of responses it's a numbing response it's about making the world not so threatening because you're uh, technically it's called a narcotizing dysfunction so so yeah, there are a lot of responses that, that you can have, but you have to understand, I, in the book, I call it the edge. And the thing about being pushed to the edge, where your capacity is, is being outstripped by the demand of the task in front of you, is that you can look at that, you can frame it as a threat, you can frame it as something that's frightening, but that's also the place in our lives where joy and growth and happiness reside as well. It's when you have that flow experience, right? When you're, when you're being pushed, but not so far. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing. There are two kinds of stress. There's distress, negative stress, and there's eustress, good stress. And we have to have the good stress in our lives. And part of living with a chronic condition is learning to frame the stress in a different way. What's an example of good stress? Uh, <clears throat> anytime we learn, we're being stressed. We're at the limits of what we know, right? And, and if, we, if we successfully meet that challenge, we learn something new, then that's good stress. 
you can you can use a uh, it's a direct analog to uh, working out with weights. So you have to stress your muscles. Yeah, I was just actually thinking that exact same thing. So actually, yesterday I was exercising, and that that stress creates growth. Exactly. In, a, in an odd way. I mean, I'm a little sore the next day from it. But Are you sculpting your guns again? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I'm, I'm an avid, uh, you know, weightlifter. I, you know, I, I lift weights every, every day and, and not to get big, but to be strong and to give my body as, as many tools as possible to, you know, live with the MS. Does that help with your condition? It does. It does. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very particular in one of the things we teach with chronic cow and through the book is you've got to give yourself enough resources in order to move past this. And that's, you know, that's nutrition and exercise and sleep and meditation and a whole host of other self-care uh, sorts of things. So, in re- How long have you been doing this, by the way, this, the business? The business is almost three years old now. So how many employees do you have? Uh, I've got I've got me and then I've got oh, six or eight part-time people. Okay. And we, uh, I've, I made a commitment when I started this business to, as much as possible, hire others with chronic illnesses. Okay. Okay. So – you talked about your like B to C model and does some of that also include the people you, we've talked about caregivers and we talked about medical professionals and we talked about people with the chronic illness as part of this, like the, the, that, that side of it, also the people that live with the people that have chronic illnesses. Yeah. Those are, those are caregivers uh, in okay. the broadest okay. sense. Okay. And, and we certainly include those because, you know, not only did I live with multiple sclerosis, you know, for all these years, I spent a decade in there at the same time supporting a wife dying of cancer. And, you know, the, there were there was probably more stress coming at me because we had little kids at the time. And, and there was probably more stress from being the caregiver than there was from facing my own illness. Yeah, that's what I was asking because I feel like, you know, you start looking at the the way these things branch out and the people that are also adjacent mm-hmm. to the illness or the chronic, you know, whatever, have, you know, a different set of issues and problems. It's uh, you talk about stressors or like, um, you know, having been around a few uh, a few friends that had children that have different, you know, chronic ailments or something like that and looking at the way that it changed their lives as well. Um, so, you know, when it comes to stress and anxiety, one of the things that is a big driver and cause of, of that in people's lives are things that are completely out of their control, right? which is and a chronic, a chronic illness is an example of that, but other, some other people generate stress and anxiety, you know, you look at like world events or, <laughs> you know, like, oh my right. God, the sky is falling. Um, so how, how, what's the approach that, that chronic cow, like, how does it recommend that you deal with that? Cause that seems like that's, that's tricky stuff to it get is. someone to start, stop worrying about things that they can no longer control. It is. And you know, there's, I, I brought in a lot of research. There's, there's actually one group of people who are well-researched, who not just deal with extreme stress and pain all the time, but they choose to do it. And those are extreme athletes. And it turns out that 
Making the cognitive choice to deal with the stress gives us a much greater capacity for doing that. So like, you know, in my own, in my own life, I haven't had a pain-free day in 17 years. I'm, I'm in pain right now. So what? And, and I don't mean to minimize that. It's because, you know, we all have pains that, that we deal with, but you can either focus on it or you can learn to live with it and move through it and, and turn it into a motivator for a better life. And changing that mindset is often a crucial first step to changing behaviors. I think there's definitely a lot of people that when they have these issues that their whole life revolves around the issue and they can't get past it. Right. Yeah. Like I, I've seen this with family members that have a death in the family and that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, a different, not really an illness. It's a different thing. Right. But same sort of issue where they just cannot get past that event, you know, that happened and they just struggle forever. Right. And to I accept talk, it and move past. I talk about that in the book because there's a lot of grieving <clears throat> that's, that's associated with chronic illness because you know, I went through it. You you grieve the life that you thought you were building for yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's that's heavy. Some of the, and some of these things seem similar to uh, just issues you have with age. Yes, right. Like I see my parents. Like my dad has different health issues, and it's like nothing he can do about it. It's like mm-hmm. I, I give him crap all the time. Like these are just old man problems. Well, I was just thinking, <laughs> and you just was, have to learn to deal with it. It's like yeah, I was just yeah. thinking the same thing because you know my my uh, my dad's had heart problems for a while, and I guess that's that be as as a chronic illness. Right. My mom's got dementia, mm-hmm. and you know, like the and, and that's why this is so fascinating because it's like the it's a that that coping not only for us as family members yeah. but also like dealing with her because you know dementia is a weird a weird thing because it just kind of erases the person yeah. that you know they're like there but then they're not and you know that those other folks too like so also with the data and what you what you guys deal with. Does some of that deal with the incremental steps? Like, cause there's, um, you know, my, my wife's, my wife had gone through dementia with her grandmother. And as we've gone through it with my mom, we've, you know, Jill told me, she said, Oh, we're, they're going to come and it goes in stages. And then, you know, like there's even like a stage where they're just like really angry mm-hmm. and it's like a level of frustration or something. But I mean, right. my, my mom was like, I mean, almost like a, a card carrying hippie of some sorts at one point. And then, you know, to see her like angry and yelling and like, you know, one time we had to like take her home because she was kicking my couch over and over again for like, you know, yeah. reasons that she was just like mad at different stuff. And, you know, it's, it's uh so how do you, how do you treat and deal with like the incremental steps of certain things like that? Right. That's one of the, the things that, that I've got personal experience with too, because Multiple sclerosis comes in several different varieties, and and what I happen to have currently is relapsing remitting MS. So there will be exacerbations, and things will get really bad for a time, and then they'll ease off, and, and you can get better. But the issue with that is you never know when relapsing remitting MS will become progressive MS. So in other words, there could be an exacerbation that I have one day, and I never get better from that. And 
I won't know beforehand that that's coming. So I've had exacerbations where, you know, I've, 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 I've been so blinded by the pain that I've passed out. I've had exacerbations where my body is completely frozen up on me and, you know, I'm completely spastic and, and I'm falling over on the ground. And I don't know, is, is it not going to get better? I had, because MS can occur anywhere, you know, the lesions can strike anywhere in the brain and the spinal cord in the central nervous system. And because everything we do feel, think, or say comes through our central nervous system, the, the symptoms can be anything. So I've, I had an exacerbation that was a, a massive right frontal temporal exacerbation that's like dementia. And suddenly I couldn't control my emotions and my cognition was really fuzzy. And, and, you know, I was doing this in the midst of trying to start up a company uh, a couple of companies ago. And that was terrifying because suddenly I couldn't function at the level that I, I needed to function uh, for, for my clients and my employees and everything else. And you've got to learn that, that this is a possibility and, and you've got to build in, here are these buffers for, you know, what I can do. And, and you've got to learn different ways to take care of yourself. And so that's part of what we teach with Chronic Cal. You know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged guy with, you know, two decades into MS and uh, I skydive. I love to jump out of planes. Wow. I do it all the time. I mean, yesterday morning at sunrise, I was up on a load and, uh, you know, as the sun peaked over the horizon, we were out at 14,000 feet oh, very cool. and, you know, watching the sunrise, this is no better way to see it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I have to do it when I can't feel my legs and people think, oh my gosh, how do you land a parachute? And it's actually landing the parachute isn't the most difficult thing. It's learning to control your legs in free fall. When you can't see them because my signals don't don't tell me exactly where my legs are and that's how you get your stability in your drive mm -hmm. so you know i i figured out a way to do it does that does that mean you can only do it on certain days or certain times or um you know i have to i have to monitor myself because uh you know i'm always dealing with fatigue as well that's part of ms and so you know, there's sometimes when I will just have to say, you know, I'm going to ground myself today. How often do you do you skydive? Oh, you know, I, I five, six, eight times a week. Oh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm ten minutes from my drop zone, so yeah. I can like just zip right over, hop on a load. I've never done and, it. And, I think we should do it. Yeah, um, can we record good, a podcast while we good do luck, it. Good luck getting me up there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I had this dream. That, that, you know, I could become a licensed skydiver and, and I thought I'd lost that because of what had happened yeah. to my body. And a couple of years ago, my, my son who was then, you know, a tween said, dad, you really suck at doing things for yourself. And I was right. That was the one thing that I'd let slip by in my life that I'd started the training before and had just let slip. And I thought, I'm going to go back and reclaim that. I'm going to figure out a way to get my license. And now I'm up to my B license and 106 skydives. Wow. 
Oh, you're 106 cool. ahead of me. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so let's let's move forward in our conversation here to talking about tech startups and some of the challenges that you've run into. Um, feel free to share any any interesting stories of failure. Um, <laughs> we we openly embrace that here. Um, but what I mean, what are some of the things? What are some of the what have been some of the challenges that you've dealt with? I've I've got a couple of good failure stories. I think. Um, one was my very first company. So I'd spent 15 years as a professor and, you know, did that. And I loved that. And, and it was, it was a great career, but I woke up one morning and I was like, geez, this is every day for the rest of my life. I, this is it, you know, cause I knew I didn't want to be like a Dean. I'd, I'd run a department and, and I knew that, you know, they, they say academic politics is so vicious because the stakes are so low. You think about it for a minute, it's true. Uh, and, and I didn't want to deal with that. I wanted to do something new and something different. So I was in the process of starting my first company uh, from uh, some research that I'd been doing and put together a team. They were really a you know, really competent guys and, and they had all the skills to do it. But I think my biggest advice to startup entrepreneurs is there's one thing that you can't teach your team and that is risk tolerance. Some people just have a tolerance for risk and uncertainty and others don't. And that first company just blew apart. I had an exacerbation and I wasn't able to, to drive things like I was hoping. And the rest of my team, you know, when I jumped from being a professor to an entrepreneur, the rest of them were like, man, we can't give up the safest job in the world as academics climbing the tenure track for the risky life of being entrepreneurs. And boom, there it was. Well, risk tolerance is, is just is a known factor in personality types. It is. It is. And uh, like my personality type is is I don't have an issue with it. It doesn't freak me right. out. Um, some people, it's it's overwhelming and it can it can crush you. And typically, those are those are people that tend more in the type B personality. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be real general and keep it on A and B, but. Um, you know, and you know, that's, that's true. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things you, you can't teach as well. I mean, some of the, I mean, I'm mad, I'm sure you've run into these over the years too. There's just certain qualities and people that, well, an example is, and this is kind of a, a, a different example, but, uh, likability, hmm. like some people are just likable. <laughs> yeah, like, are. I mean, we've talked about this before and it's like, you know, you can't really train that you can soften you can soften sharp edges. Matt, what are some of the things that you've run into that are, that you can't train? I mean, one, another thing too is, is you can't teach people to care. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the caring part, like, I mean, if we have, if I have an employee that, that cares about, about our users, clients, other people at the company, the company in general, like that's a quality you just can't, you can't teach. You can't, you can't, uh, the other, and, and that's valuable too. By the, way. the other big one I always think about is, is kind of vision. There's a lot of people, they just, sure. they, they just, they can only see what's in front of them. They, they cannot see even what next week looks like. They struggle so hard to prioritize things and plan and, and 
and, and you know, then you get on the other side of vision, like product vision and market vision and stuff like that. Just some people can just, they, they struggle so hard to look past what they're doing today and see yep. the bigger picture. And some of that is actually like revision. Like you look at something that's broken mm-hmm. or something that's downtrodden or just in the gutter and you will, you just like, Oh my God, this is terrible. We got to keep yeah. doing this because it's the yeah. way we've always done it. Right. Yeah. Right. Have you, did you run into any of that stuff along the way? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I think that, you know, obviously if you've, if you've been in this world for a while, you learn that, that it tends to, to weed out some of the people who, who just don't have the drive and, and the direction to do that because you've got to be really internally motivated and you've got to be really internally motivated against an uncertain future uh, when you do it. And that, that, I mean, drives another thing. Drive is literally a personality type driven. And yeah. those are the, I often refer to those people as having that high motor. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're also sometimes obsessive. Yes. Like, you know, my ex-girlfriend wanted to break up with me cause she said I was SCD. So I asked her to shut the door five times on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's a, there's a level of obsession and that's, you know, that's something I've had really interesting conversations with, with people about like, are you obsessed? Are you driven? Are you a genius or are you crazy? Cause they're like, there's this like, I'm not even sure there's a line. Um, there is no some line. Of them. Yeah. It, it's real fuzzy if there is. You know, the, the funniest, the best answer that someone has given me was actually recently. And it was just, who cares? <laughs> I mean, it's, but on like the most basic level, it's like, it's all an external observation, yeah, which is interesting. So, um, in regards to chronic cow, what are some, you know, you talked about gathering millions of data points and different stuff like that. And, you know, you go out and you scrape a bunch of data and that's not, you know, the, the wildest of technologies at this point, but then you get you have all this unstructured data as mm-hmm. data scientists will talk about. So you mm-hmm. talk about structured data and unstructured data. And obviously you always want to start first with the structured data f- because it actually has some right. wrappers around it. So, uh, and I've, and I've built things in the past that, or even currently that go out and gather a whole bunch of information. Um, you know, has, was that, that has had to have been something that was a challenge to try to make sense of any of it. Oh, it's huge. And, and that's part of the intellectual property that, that we bring to this. Um, you know, over the years I've, I've, I've been what we now call a data scientist for almost 30 years, uh, you know, for long before that term ever existed. And I've, I've designed, managed, consulted on over a thousand projects. Uh, during that time. And so a lot of what we did with Chronic Cal was build some adaptive hierarchical meta layers around the data to, to impart a lot of meaning and to put those meaningful points of distinction in those data so that we can take semi-structured data and unstructured data and drop it into some really interesting ensemble algorithms that that give us this kind of answer that we need to do. Because really what it is, is it's two things. It's a matching algorithm that takes you and matches you with a potential solution set. And then it's a recommendation algorithm 
that's saying, okay, uh, here's we're gonna we're going to rank uh, these kinds of these possibilities, and and you know, and then monitor you within those, so that we can get you as efficiently as possible to those solutions that change your behaviors and mindsets and environments in ways that are useful for you. Do you have any good um, success metrics from what you do? Um, yeah, we do. Uh, usually what we, what we do is, so we, we do a couple of things. One is uh, when we're profiling you and screening you, we're, we're getting from you what are the changes you would most like to see in your life. And then we're taking those, and because of the data that we're bringing in from the back end, we're saying, okay, so this potential change is probably going to deliver the most benefit to your life. You know, whether you will recognize that or not at first, and here's the second and third and fourth. And so we're, we're measuring, we're actually measuring happiness and satisfaction and meaning and you know, these other kind and security and, and these other values that you're applying to your world. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, I actually, in, in my book, Balance Me, use that same, <clears throat> that same approach. It's like, you know, here's where I spend my time. And then how would you really like to be spending your time? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because they're never the same. And right. then part of like what you just mentioned is, you know, what kind of change do you want to see in your life? So like, what are your goals? Like, what do you really want to accomplish? What's the most important to you? And then it's, a, and you know, I make it pretty simplistic, but I think it can be, it's about, okay, well, let's do, le let's do less of the stuff that has no value and then chip away at some of these things. Um, much like dealing with any type of recurring, you know, anything, you can't tackle the whole thing all in one day. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I, I think you're going to find a lot more drive and motivation getting people to chase the things that they want. Yes. And, and that, and that doesn't necessarily mean work. I mean, sometimes it's just simple. I mean, people have different, everyone has a different dream. Right. And you know, you right. talk, say, I want to learn how to speak French and you're like, but I don't have the time. Really? Actually you do. I mean, sure. you need like 15 minutes a day or yeah. 30 minutes a day or however many times a day. And so the thing is, is you get a finite amount of time each day. So you're choosing how you want to spend that and what you want to do with it. So Okay, as we uh, and Kevin, thank you for coming in today. For those of you listening, make sure you go to chroniccow.com. You can also find them on Instagram at, at chroniccow. If you want to check out what Kevin is doing, probably pictures of him falling out of an airplane <laughs> or some or something like that. He's also on Instagram at Dr. KJ Payne. Um, and before we get into our closing comments here, once again, today's podcast was brought to you by Fullscale.io. That's the business that Matt and I own together. We help you build teams of expert developers quickly and affordably. While you're looking at our website, stop back by the Instagrams and check out pictures from today's episode at, at Startup Hustle Podcast. You can also check out the new Startup Hustle YouTube channel. So, Kevin, as, it, it, over the last, I don't know, however many episodes we've real we've been kind of doing a little closing round table of comments and which you uh, it's kind of the uh, founders freestyle there you go we have a name for it now but Ooh. i think that that's a i think that that's an appropriate and maybe that's just what we'll call it from now on but 
um, you know, anyone that comes in here, we want to give you an opportunity to stand on the the soapbox that we've created with listeners in 190 countries. And thank you to all of you. And I hope the one listener in the Isle of Man is not a man because <laughs> I think that would have some irony. So, Kevin, what would you like to say to start a hustle nation on your way out here? Too often our lives become driven by fear. And we are adapted to see fear when we're at our own personal edges. Maybe a physical edge, maybe emotional edge, a cognitive edge, a social edge, whatever it is. But when we perceive a threat, it can also be a challenge and an opportunity. And it seems really trite, but how we frame it is a massive part of whether we're going to succeed or not. Because if you're running away from a fear, man, that's a lousy way to live a life. If you are running to an opportunity, even if it knocks you down, you get up again and you keep learning. And as simple as it is, that's, that's I think, the important part of it. If you want to build strength, resilience, grit, if you want to be successful, that's the thing you have to learn. And you're not only fighting what's out there in the world, but when you frame it that way, you end up fighting yourself for it. And man, you you can make yourself your ally. Master Watson. Uh, my question for you is um, for those of our listeners that have MS or fibromyalgia or, or some sort of um, illness that maybe you could help. Uh, is your website the best place to go? I mean, can can they get help directly from what you do? Yeah, they can. They can get help directly from what we do. We also, uh, you know, we we released the premium services first, and and so for those who you know, I understand that a lot of people living with chronic illness aren't in a position to take advantage of that. So, you know, obviously buy the book. Uh, when it comes out, because a book is not much, and there's a lot of, you know, our entire core curriculum is in that book. Okay. And I also, you know, we're just launching a new Patreon option. Okay. So you can pay just a few bucks a month and and get some really valuable insight and some interactive stuff with me and other Chronic Cow guides, and it's it's a good way to get good value for you know, a really economical price point. Okay. Was that your freestyle, Matt? Yeah. That was a question? Hey, it's up to you. You get to do whatever you want. So once again, Kevin's book, and that's Dr. Kevin Payne. I'm assuming you can find this on Amazon yes. since that's where everyone buys books now. Yeah. So in the pre-sale? It's on Amazon um, for the, the pre-sale? The pre-sale will be on Amazon as well, and that'll be uh, early next month in November when that releases. And that'll so. be, this will be closer. This episode will probably come out somewhere in between now and then. Uh, anyway, that's called Your Life Lived Well, The Science of Crafting a Good Life Under Chronic Distress, Pain, and Illness. Once again, you can go to chroniccal.com. I think, it, and you know, what I really took from today, and, and I, I, loved, I loved the concept of framing, um, I think that, and I've spent a lot of time talking about this and, you know, it was, I was probably like 23, something didn't go my way. And my dad was like, you know, there might be a lot of opportunity. You need to just, you know, quit 
staring straight into the corner and maybe turn around, there might be a hallway of open doors, you know, right behind you. And, you know, that kind of changed the way I looked at a lot of different things. But I think that, I think that, you know, opportunity is everywhere. Um, you know, unless you dig through the muck, sometimes you won't find it, but sometimes that's where the best opportunities exist. Um, I, I also think that if there's something that you want in life, figure out what that is and reverse engineer your way back to wherever you're at. And, right. and, you know, there's a lot of phrases and sayings, you know, say, you know, you don't eat an elephant. You have to eat an elephant one bite at a time <laughs> with a lot of lions. Yeah. With a lot. Well, maybe with lions, <laughs> if you can get them, but if you're, if you're going to start, if you're going to eat that elephant, you might as well start with the tail. But the point is, and it's, I don't really endorse eating elephants, but the, the idea is you can't just, you can't just munch that whole thing down right away. So anything you want to do is likely, uh, uh, people look at goals and accomplishment as one singular task and it never is. There's like 10,000 things that need to occur on your way to do them. So you got to just break down what they are. And anytime you get an opportunity to put a checkbox next to one or cross one off the list, you're one step closer to what you're wanting to do. And that can, that can go for a whole lot of different things. So, well, Kevin, that's all I have to say here in the, in the newly named founders freestyle, but I, I really do appreciate you coming in. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.